Sunday school guy uh, from Kansas City. Uh, I serve as the uh, director of Sunday School and Discipleship Ministries. Now, I noticed that you have an incredible mission statement. And you t tell me what it is again. Oh, that's great, because that'll fit on a T-shirt. You could print that on a pencil, couldn't you? And it's memorable. Uh, you can know it. And that's why in our church we've come up with this mission statement to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. And so, what's the mission of the Church of the Nazarene? Well, now that's, that's memorable, that's short, that's quick, that'll fit on a t-shirt. We could print it on pins. And uh, because that is such a significant mission statement, what I found out is that it has really helped our church all around the world uh, focus on why we do what we do. Um, if the reason we exist is to make Christ-like disciples in the nation then that tells us a lot about every effort, every Sunday school class, every worship service, everything that we are doing is driven by this passion to do exactly what Jesus uh, told us to do. Well, uh, I just want you to know that um, I, I am now this, uh, uh, wearing this hat called SDMI director. But it wasn't always that way. For 18 years, I was a pastor. I pastored in Vermilion, South Dakota and Mundelein, Illinois, and Colorado Springs. For 18 years I was a pastor, and then they asked me to be a district superintendent. And I told them no. <laughs> I, I was having too much fun being a pastor. And then uh, a couple months later, they came back and asked me again, and that time I, I prayed about it. And, and so for the last 12 years, I've been down in New Mexico uh, serving the Church of the Nazarene as the district superintendent in New Mexico, which is all of the state of New Mexico and everything south of it in the state of, of Texas, which is that entire horn. And, and New Mexico, yes, that's between Phoenix and Texas. <laughs> uh, but, but in New Mexico, I, I found out that being a district superintendent is not as much fun as being a pastor. <laughs> This, uh, uh, Dr. Graves and I were district superintendents together. And, and in one board meeting, this, this fellow walked up to me and he goes, you the DS? I said, yes, I am. He goes, I don't like DSs. <laughs> oh, oh, my. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not a very fun job sometimes. This, this guy says, well, brother DS, I just want you to know you've lost that youthful gleam that was in your eye when you first came on the district. Oh, no, I've lost my youthful gleam. And then it wasn't much longer than H.B. London came down to New Mexico to help us with, with a deal we were doing for the men. And, and he goes, Woody, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about you. You seem to have lost your joyful bounce. Oh, no, <laughs> my youthful gleam and my joyful bounce, it's gone. I wonder, I wonder what's next going. And, and then when you know it, um, this guy walks up to me and he goes, well, you need to know that in 1932, there was a man who was a district superintendent in New Mexico by the name of A.K. Scott. And um, A.K. Scott still had a son by the name of Charles living in Artesia, New Mexico, when I was there. And after a service, he, he totters up to me and he goes, Young man, how old are you? And I tried to sound as old and wise as I possibly could. And I said, Sir, I'm... I'm 44. <laughs> and he said, well, my dad was DS of this district, and he died at 45. <laughs> I know this job's going to kill me. 
<laughs> and I pulled up to this one church, and, and this, this guy comes walking out of the church, and I think, great, the only church on the district with a parking lot greeters ministry. And he walks up, and he goes, you visiting today? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, too bad the district superintendent's preaching. <laughs> so if you guys are visiting today, too bad. You know, you got the Sunday school guy coming to talk to you. But about the importance of your mission, I was really glad uh, that you have a clear, crystal clear mission statement and understanding of what you're about, keeping the faith and uh, running, finishing the race. Because when you can articulate that, that gives you perspective and guidance and direction. And, and that's why to make Christ-like disciples in the nations is so critical for a denomination to have that crystal clear focus on what we are trying to do together. When I was a DS, I, I get this phone call, and um, uh, a general superintendent calls me and he says, we'd like for you, uh, congratulations, you've been elected by the general board, to become the director of Sunday School Ministries. And we'd like you to take Sunday school and um, expand it with small groups, adult Bible fellowships, discipleship ministries, and all kinds of other ministry resources that will make it an international global work. And I said, okay, um, let me pray about it. I began to pray, and I called my dad. My dad is 80 years old. And I said, Dad, they've asked me to become the director of Sunday school ministries, and... Um, uh, they want me to take Sunday school and expand it with small groups, adult Bible fellowships. Uh, they want me to add discipleship ministries, and they want it to go global. And Dad said, you're not going to change Sunday school, are you, son? <laughs> no, Dad, we're not, we're not going to change Sunday school. Huh. Well, that's good. I said, but Dad, is there somehow Sunday school could be expanded, that it could be a global understanding, that we have to move beyond Sunday to teaching folks how to be disciples every day? And can we add small groups and, and adult Bible fellowships and discipleship ministries, men's ministries, women's ministries, and all these other things to expand Sunday school? And Dad said, well, now that might be all right. And so I ended up accepting this responsibility, and in... in um, February of 2000, uh, we added uh, to Sunday School this name, Sunday School and Discipleship Ministries International, and that's why you, you might sometime hear about SDMI. So say that with me, SDMI. SDMI, SDMI. you just say it real fast, SDMI. SDMI. <laughs> and you know it's Sunday School and Discipleship Ministries International, uh, which, you know, it's very important because, you know, there are some places in the world where Sunday School doesn't make sense. The day of rest is Friday. And, and to have one hour of school a week, it doesn't, make, it doesn't compute. Well, I said, call it Friday school in some places of the world. But in order to help us understand how this is a global movement of teaching God's word uh, to folks, well, uh, we've expanded this name to Sunday school. So in my very first meeting with the Board of General Superintendents, our church has a, a structure of six general superintendents, they, I... Uh, the chairman of the board said, I have a question for every general superintendent, for every director, for every pastor, for superintendent, for every associate, for every member in our church, and here's the question. Who's discipling you, and who are you discipling? Well, when I heard that question, I thought, oh, well, I, I think I understand. He's, he's saying... Uh, Who's your teacher and who are you teaching? Who is your mentor? 
And who are you mentoring? Who is your coach? And who are you coaching? Who is your Paul? And who is your Timothy? You know, uh, in this setting, it's pretty easy to say, this person is my, my teacher. It may not be quite as simple for you to say, who are you teaching? Answer the question, who are you teaching? Have you ever considered that this question needs to be asked of every follower of Jesus? What would happen if at the end of every Sunday school class, the teacher said, okay, you've just received, now who are you going to teach this to? What would happen if at the end of a worship service, where when we came together to worship and glorify God, the question was, now how are we going to pass this on to someone else? And you know the difference between a mentor and a coach. A mentor is one who has walked in your shoes. They've been where you are. They know exactly what you're experiencing. And they can therefore help mentor you how to take the next steps. A coach is the one who sees the big picture. And he can call the plays. And he knows to, uh, when to send which person where and how in order to help the team accomplish a greater mission. Every person needs a Paul, someone from whom they are learning. We are learning. From whom do you think most Americans are learning today? Oprah? And who are we intentionally teaching then the things that we know? And it's all based on the Great Commission. Would you read this with me, please? Read this for me, please. Thank you, Lord. Uh, William Barclay's translation, I just love it because, and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not with you. And we've gathered in the name of Jesus this evening and we acknowledge his presence. But did you notice how personal this is? You must. Well, can't we just hire an associate to be the associate of discipleship? What would happen if every follower of Jesus understood that their role was not just to be saved and sanctified and get into glory, but the reason you literally were born again was so that you would reproduce your life in someone else who reproduces their life in someone else. So that we are disciple makers who make disciple makers who make disciple makers. I, I suspect we've done a great job of teaching the input. But how are we doing on making disciples? Actually doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. As we are going to the people of our worlds, we go baptizing them. Well, baptism is a very important sacrament in our church, and we honor it, and we practice it, and, we, and it's, it's, there was no such thing as an unbaptized Christian in the New Testament. But what if not only is that insignificant, but what if you literally could be in your going baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by your words and by your spirit, by the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, you literally baptize those people that you talk to. 
You are immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by the Spirit that's flowing through you so that you see. Have you ever been in a conversation when you've, you've walked away from someone and you just felt lifted up? You've been blessed because they helped you? Well, they were baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we teach them to obey everything the Father has taught us. Everything that Jesus uh, taught his disciples, he learned from the Father. He said, what I'm teaching you, these words are not my own. They're, they're the words of the Father. And now I'm going to teach them to you, and then you go teach them to somebody else. And the reason we are here is because the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go make disciples. But what if we actually have a setting today in our culture where you could um, say, hey, I'm Christian, um, but you don't go to church, you don't, you don't worship, you don't pray, uh, you, you, you don't sing, you never you never serve, you certainly don't give, and yet you consider yourself Christian. Can you be a Christian without being a disciple? You know what Bonhoeffer said about that? Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So this invitation to follow Jesus is very significant. And that's why I define uh, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Now that's at its most basic level. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Say that with me. What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. A discipler is one who intentionally helps a friend follow Jesus more closely. A discipler is one who intentionally helps a friend follow Jesus more closely. Now see, this is really good news because to be a disciple of Jesus means you don't have to have your PhD in theology because all you have to have is the light of Christ within your heart and mind and his presence within you to make a difference. How much light does it take to make a difference in the dark? Just a little bit. This little light of mine and the little light of Christ that is growing within you is there not for you to be a light of the light, but for you to be a light in the dark, shining like stars in the darkness as you hold out the word of life. And our mission is to be a follower of Jesus who helps someone else follow Jesus more closely, just one conversation at a time. And it starts with those who are closest to us. Our wives, our, our husbands, our children, our closest friends. We must move in this mission to make Christ-like disciples in all the nations. We have got to move beyond Sunday to every day. If we, if we show up just on Sunday, many people think they have done their Christian duty. We're not talking about a duty. We're talking about a lifestyle of being a disciple maker. Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Can you be a disciple and not do what Jesus told you to do? 
And to do that means an everyday lifestyle. Imagine beginning every day in communion, learning, learning from Jesus just like Peter, James, and John did. Well, we can learn from Jesus just like Peter, James, and John because we have his words, the words he taught them. He teaches us through his spirit. Every morning we open his word and he feeds us and he teaches us. And then he teaches us not just for ourselves, but to pass it on to someone else. Moving beyond Sunday to every day and beyond membership to discipleship. Come join our church. Sing in the praise lead, uh, band, in the praise team. Help us with the offering. Serve on the board. Be a greeter. But you see, you can do all those things and never make a disciple. The call of Jesus is beyond membership to discipleship and beyond knowledge to obedience. This is a knowledge setting, and I don't want to take anything away from knowledge. We have to have it. It is essential. It is critical. We must have cognitive input. But if that's where it stops, that's all you get, cognitive input. But this is a, not only a head issue, this is a heart and a hands issue. And God expects us to move beyond what we know to live it out in obedience. Because why did he say? Teaching them to obey everything. He doesn't expect us to be smart. He doesn't require us to be gifted and capable. All he expects us to be is obedient. And beyond programming to relationships. Do you ever get tired of another program? Let's try this program. And we're going to, we're going to take notes, and we're going to study this program really good, and we're going, to, we're going to go to this seminar, and when we go to the seminar, he's going to tell us exactly how to grow our church. And so we go to the seminar, we take notes, we get the tapes, we listen to the, to the tapes, and we study the, the notes and listen and read the books, and then we come home, and no one gets excited. It doesn't work, and so we put that notebook on the shelf along with all the other program notebooks that we have on the shelf on how to grow the church. But here's the issue. Jesus did not say, build the church. He said, I'll build the church. He said, you make disciples. I'm a, I'm a church growth specialist for 18 years. My churches grew with the help of the Lord. But, but you know what? What if I was so caught up in just growing the church, I had failed to focus on the primary thing that he wanted me to do, spending more time with fewer people, reproducing what God was doing in me intentionally into the lives of a few people who would intentionally pass it on to others. It's beyond just a program to the intentional development of relationships and beyond the self to Christ's likeness. So how many of you have a cat? How many of you have a dog? How many of you have both? So the dog, the dog, you come home and the dog is so excited, that little tail is wagging and jumping out of the skin because you're home and, oh, and, and the, the, the dog is thinking, oh, you, you pet me, you love me, you feed me, you shelter me, you care for me, you must be God. Now a cat. <laughs> you come home and the cat looks the other way. 
and eventually may saunter by in order that you might reach out and touch her. She might even deign to jump into your lap, but all the time the cat is thinking, hey, you shelter me, you take care of me, you pet me, you feed me, you love me. I must be God. <laughs> but see, what, what if we've approached Christianity that same way? Oh, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. This, this, this school is all about me being blessed. This class is all about me liking it. This is all about how well I am doing, how much I think this is uh, pleasing me and helping me meet my goals. When in reality, the very reason we exist is to the glory of God. I have no reason to exist other than to bring glory to the one who created me and gave himself for me. Outside of that, I become full of self-centeredness. And the predominant uh, wedge that's driven in all of our relationships is this inordinate self-centeredness that plagues every human heart. And God has a solution for that through his sanctifying Holy Spirit. So I just got back from Cali, Colombia. I'll tell you this real quick. I, I flew in on a Tuesday night, and um, uh, here's Cali, Colombia. The church uh, is in five services. Uh, they had... They had uh, about 8,000 in worship in, over those, those um, five services. But it wasn't always that way. It, it used to be, for the first 12 years, they averaged 31. For, uh, Pastor Aldoberto would come to church and uh, come to district assembly, report, how many did you have in Sunday school? 31. How many did you have in worship? 31. Average 31, first 12 years. He said, I got tired of that. And finally, in desperate prayer, pastor and his wife said, Lord, we can't do this. And for three intense, intense months of prayer and fasting, they sought the face of the Lord. And, and, and the Lord said, son, why don't, you, why don't you make disciples? Well, well, Lord, uh, I thought that's what I was doing. Well, why don't you make disciples like I did? Well, how'd you do that? Just 12 men at a time. In fact, I spent most of my time with just three. And then I had the 12. And then I had the 70 and the 120 and the 500 and the 3,000. But most of my ministry was spent with three guys who spent time with three guys or four guys. Well, this is not college Columbia. But what would happen if each of us had an answer to the question, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? I flew into Cali and it was late. It was 10.30 um, night. They took us to the hotel and, and I knew it was going to be really late before we got in, checked in and all that. And they said, okay, now we'll be back here at 6 a.m. and we're going to go to a day of prayer and fasting. And, uh, and somebody said, well... Well, what about breakfast? And, and the, our bus driver said, oh, there's always time to grow the body. Tomorrow, we're going to grow the soul. A principle for all of our lives, transferable. 
is this issue of prayer and fasting. Nothing much happens without prayer, and whatever happens without prayer is nothing much. Prayer and fasting. Another principle is the authoritative word of God. In Cali, Colombia, uh, by the way, um, I was there in March. Uh, they had 8,000. I was there in November. They had 13,000. I was there in, uh, no, I, I didn't get to go back in April, but they had another gathering in April, and they had 25,000. And then they just had another gathering this past uh, week in October um, where they were anticipating 40,000 40, from 31. But they, they are not hesitant to have deep confidence in the Word of God. We are not bibliolaters. That means we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God it teaches us of. Worship God and God alone. The Bible is a holy book. We have a high view of Scripture, but we don't worship it. We're not bibliolaters. We see Scripture like Jesus saw Scripture. Look what Jesus said about Moses and the law and the prophets. He had a high regard for them. So do we. It is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It will penetrate the dividing of our soul and spirit. It will judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Let the word of God lead the way as you will bear fruit, as you remain in him and his word remains in you. And another, another principle is the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. You just sense the spirit. And when they pray, all the top of their lungs seeking the face of God, it's like the sound of a mighty rushing wind that sweeps through the place. As the passion cries of people seeking the face of God. And then accountability. When you go to Cali, Columbia, you will find, they talk about the pastor and his 12, and the 12 is 12, the 144, and the 144 is 12, the 1,758, and the 1,758 is 12, that's the 20,000. But in each of those groups of 12, there are high levels of accountability. Who is it in your life that loves you so much they would lay down their life for you? They love you so much they pray for you every day that you will become Christ-like in everything you say and do. They love you so much, their concern is that you would go and bear fruit that remains to the glory of God. Do you have someone in your life that loves you so much that every time you're not like Jesus, they confront you? What would that do for your life and your ministry? Who is it in your life that you love so much that you would lay down your life for them and you pray for them every day and you're helping them follow Jesus more closely every day and you're praying that they will be Christ-like. You love them so much, you won't let them get by with being carnal. Think that'd make any difference? Well, how could we ever do that? Only if we do exactly what Jesus told us to do. Love one another. But that's not just a simple love. This is a lay-down-your-life type of love in devotion and commitment. So when we talk about making Christ-like disciples, I'm not talking about shallow surface. Uh, oh, that sounds like fun. 
Jesus put it this way. If anyone would come after me, if he's going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I tell you the truth. If anyone, unless he leaves everything, you cannot be my disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus is a call to recognize that your life is not about you. It's all about to the glory of God. There's this relation of multiplication in calling that is an open group, very evangelistic. But Jesus put it this way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. I know you love him. You wouldn't be here. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit proving yourselves to be my disciples. And I suspect the most productive way for you to bear much fruit to the glory of God is simply spending more time with fewer people intentionally helping them follow Jesus more closely. Just one conversation at a time. And learning how to ask the question, find a, discover an answer to the question, who's discipling you? And who are you discipling? Dear Lord Jesus, you know, we tell you we love you. It's so easy for us to say that because you've done so much for us and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. But you've given us a mission. Would you forgive us for the times when we thought it was all about us? To recognize that it's all about serving you by finding the ones you want us to pour our lives into to help them follow you and be like, like you so that they can help someone else. Lord, we give ourselves to you now. We want to prove that we are your disciples. Would you enable us to bear fruit to your glory and you'll get the credit and the praise for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen.